Well, hello everybody, it's Roscoe here, your host. Thank you for joining us once again on the My Love of Golf podcast. Appreciate all of the feedback, shares, subscribes, downloads. It really does mean the world and it's the one thing that helps this podcast keep growing and I really do appreciate you taking the time to listen. Today I have a very special guest joining me all the way from Port Marnock Island. Yes, I know when you hear Port Marnock you think automatically I've got a very knowledgeable golfer on the line. Well, I do. His name's Shane Darby. Now Shane is a very passionate golfer, uh, played over 300 golf courses in his own right came down to Australia last year just before the COVID debacle kicked off played all of our great courses has written about that on top100golfers.com but today I'm catching up with Shane about his recent experience at the Rosapenna Links up there in County Donegal in Ireland a beautiful part of the world a very special part of the world for me my family I love it up there I've only been a couple of times but uh, I can't wait to get back there now Shane recently was one of the first people to play the new Renaissance Design Group design Tom Dote design uh, led by Eric Iverson, dirt pushed around by Angela Moser, the new St. Patrick's Links up there on the Rosapenna co- Complex. A fantastic golf destination in a fantastic part of the world. So Shane was very keen uh, as we're both, I guess, growing our knowledge about golf course design and golf course architecture. And uh, he was very keen to jump on and have a chat about it as I was to hear about it. So if I'm keen to hear about it, I'm sure you are. This is the recording of our chat. We chatted for over two hours. Uh, some of it I've edited out and might play in a later podcast. This section of the podcast that I play is only really dedicated to the uh, Rosa Penner and St. Patrick's Links discussion. But we chatted about Critch Island. We chatted about Donegal Mervar. We chatted about his recent trip to Ballybunion, Narn and Port New, which has recently had an overhaul by Gil Hans. We'll save that for another time. This is really about his experience playing the new dope course, one of only a handful of dope courses outside of... Um, uh, the US, Australia, you know, Tom Doak, his work down here in Australia, St Andrews Beach, the Gunnamatta course and other handful of projects in Australia. Well, this is one of his first in Ireland with the Casey family. Shane was good enough to go up there and give me a buzz to talk about it. Thanks for listening. Really do appreciate your time. And we'll see you next time on the My Love of Golf podcast. Shane Darby in Port Marnock, Ireland. Welcome to the My Love of Golf podcast. How are you, Shane? Thanks, Ross. Great to be here. Uh, glad we finally got this together. Well, we've been uh, chatting about it for a while and uh, we caught up a little while ago. Oh, geez, when was that? Start of the year. And uh, it's great to catch up with you again because you've just had some exciting golf trips uh, in a time when we probably the whole world's been devoid of having golf trips, but you're back out there on the road and you've just had some exciting trips and I'm keen to hear about them because... You are in Ireland. You are in one of my favourite all-time places for golf. So um, you are officially anointed as my guy on the ground over there in Ireland. So, Shane, how are you? Tell me, uh, how's Port Marnock? I'm not a member in Port Marnock. I do live down the road, two or three minutes down the road from Port Marnock Golf Course. I'm a member actually about 15 minutes away, another Lynx Golf Course called uh, Dublin Golf Club. Thankfully, uh, and and thank you for asking about Port Marnock, I am actually playing Marnock next uh, Friday with uh, with uh, a contact of mine who's uh, actually a golf architect, a fellow called Al, uh, Ali McIntosh, who uh, did a bit of work in Carn and uh, he's currently doing a bit of work in Strand Hill Golf Club in Sligo. Oh, very nice. 
I'm sure I'm sure Port Marnock is beautiful as, as always. Well, when when we when we first connected, you were you told me that you were walking along Port Marnock Beach. That's why I referred to Port Marnock. So I knew you lived in Port Marnock. You were walking along Port Marnock Beach, listening to the My Life of Golf podcast, and I said, if anyone wants to have a chat, come on and have a chat. And you were very uh, generous and responded. And um, so Royal Dublin, how's Royal Dublin? Welcome to Grace. Um, obviously, we were we were without golf here for. Uh, for, on a number of occasions throughout the last 18 months, uh, we returned to the fairways towards the start of May this year. Thankfully, haven't had any uh, any, any additional restrictions in terms of uh, playing golf. Funnily enough, probably the, the period between the 28th of December when we got the news that we were going into another lockdown and when we returned to the fairways at the, the, at the start of May, or maybe the end of April, I forget, didn't hit a golf I've decided and came back to golf with a uh, uh, not caring as much, and by that I mean it probably to use a Bob Rotellaism in order to gain control most. So, in other words, it's not that I don't care where the ball goes because obviously I do, but you and you and I and the listeners all know that in order to 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 play one's best golf to do it freely. Thankfully, I've managed to do that. I've had a couple of decent scores. In fact, the first three or four scores after we came back with the new WHF system, uh, I had three or four counting scores in a row. And uh, now down to my lowest handicap ever, which is great. I'm trying to maintain that, uh, that, that at least a, a, a visage of not caring. Excellent. Well, the World Handicap System, that caused a bit of consternation over there in Ireland when they brought that in, didn't it? Um, we, we've been operating with that for a good few years now, and so we're used to it. It's, it's pretty normal, but um, there was there was a fair bit of chat around around that uh, system when it was introduced. How did you feel about it? I, well, I was fortunate enough, Ross, as, we, as we've spoken uh, uh, privately before, about, I was actually in Australia just prior to uh, the COVID situation blowing up last January 12 months. So I was fortunate enough to see WHS in operation in Australia. Um, obviously, it's it's significantly different. Well, on the face of it, it's significantly different to the system we were operating. Because there is, when you when you dive into it, there's a lot of commonalities. Um, I think it's great. I think there's five or six different systems around the world. I mean, and the most ridiculous and in inverted commas one was the one I believe that was in operation. South Africa, in that your handicap was uh, calculated on your 16 best holes on that particular day. So you could actually you could actually discard your two best holes, um, and they felt that was a system, uh, a good system. Anyway, um, I, I think initially with uh, I guess the additional difficulty here was certainly for the older members. We kind of lent on technology quite a bit in terms of obviously you couldn't swap cards and all that sort of stuff so not only were you introducing VHS, you were also introducing an app situation where you had to put a score on the app and submit that and then maybe take a picture of your card just the systems various systems that different golf clubs came up probably had three or four steps too many because they were sort of seeing the WHS and in particular the social rounds as a obviously as a competition it's not a competition. It's done on your app. I mean, we were fortunate enough in Golf Ireland app actually developed by Golf New Zealand. I believe that's the same for all of so Golf England, Golf Wales, and Golf Scotland took that product as well and just rebranded it 
uh, as um, as their own generic uh, generic handicap or score submission system. Look, I think things are settling down. People have have reprogrammed themselves uh, in terms of not looking at you know point one back and all that sort of stuff, and then obviously the vernacular and language has changed as well. But look, it's always going to take a bit of time. Yeah. But I think I think it's really cool that you can that you can have a social score. Uh, I have yet to put in a social score myself. I, I like that whole concept that, that ultimately there are more opportunities to submit scores and therefore your handicap should be more reflective of your playing ability. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think everyone you know, will hopefully in the fullness of time get used to it. I think it's it's fairly um, robust system, especially now where, you know, with the slope introduced where you're playing relevant to the difficulty of the course and your handicap adjusts to reflect that. Um, it would seem fair. You know, my handicap goes down at the course down the road where I used to be a member and it goes up, you know, at Peninsula Kingswood. So, you know, and they're poles apart in terms of difficulty. So it's it's fair. Hey, um, how do you describe yourself in terms of, you know, a golfer or a golf, um, you know, a, a GCA or golf course architecture follower? Do you, 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 do you fall under the banner of golf tragic? Um, yeah, I guess I've always been golf tragic, really. Yeah. Um, didn't have much of a, didn't have much of a, a choice. Um, I was first introduced to the game. Uh, at six or seven from my grandfather. Um, obviously, then, uh, then I I moved into golf club membership at twelve as a junior member. Roy Bullen stupidly gave the game up at sixteen, despite the best efforts of my parents to tell me, "Well, you'll regret it." And of course, at that age, the sixteen-year-old knows everything, and the parents know nothing. Needless to say, fast forward four years, and I was back playing golf, wondering why I'd let the membership go at all. And I guess I. Um, I really sort of threw myself headlong into it sort of after college in terms of, you know, running around the country taking taking big name links courses off, off lists, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I guess I was probably pretty insufferable um, in relation to my quest to not only improve as a golfer, but also to to use every opportunity to get away to open competitions or on a golf holiday or whatever it might be. I suppose it's better than hanging around street corners. But uh, although my mother might uh, might suggest otherwise, um, you know, I, I I've been fortunate enough to uh, work with the golf industry on a, on a number of occasions uh, in Belfast with a company called Open Fairways for a number of years. Dublin with a company called Car Golf, focus on inbound. Ramsey and then tourism playing trophy links and stranded the boat as well, which is managed services for golf clubs. So uh, I guess looking after the uh, agronomic and marketing different departmental requirements within a golf club. So I worked for them for a while. I also looked higher, which is basically a, an online club hire business uh, run by a fellow called Tony Judge. So I guess I guess ultimately what's got me down the route of GCA was a visit to your very fine country. Last January, twelve months, Adelaide to Melbourne and Tasmania. Particularly, my visit to, I suppose, Adelaide and Melbourne kind of got me scratching my head in relation to why are these courts, why do these courses look different from what I'm used to? I mean, they don't look different in terms of playability, and very much that. Uh, uh, Mackenzie influence that you have been there in terms in terms of strategic design, challenging bunkers to open up angles, etc., etc. Fortunately, I didn't get to play RM when I was there, but I did get to play Kingston Heath and Victoria and Metropolitan. And uh, obviously, I was somewhat uh, jet lagged uh, when I arrived, so you had a lot of time to sort of 
early in the morning to contemplate all these questions. And I, I think I found on that, towards the end of the trip, I found, I was, I was doing a bit of Googling on Tom Pope and his books and, and Mackenzie and his books. And, and it's a, those people who tell you it's a, it's a, it's a rabbit hole. It, it really is a rabbit hole, and, and there's no end of, of of books out there. And I guess uh, you know, it, it it really is given that the media that's out there, obviously with the podcasts, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, there's no end of content, and there's no end to the degree in which you can, I guess, go right to the bottom of that rabbit hole. I mean, I have a I have a book somewhere which is Mark Fine. It's all about how. Sorry. About bunkers and hazards. I mean, literally a 250-page hardback book about bunkers and hazards. So I'm now the proud owner of 50 or 60 additional books, which I've bought over the last last 18 months. So safe to say, I've gone, I've gone full, full, full on, full on. When um, when you reflect on that trip to Australia, and I'm sure you know, like many of us do, you spend a lot of time reflecting on on past travels in in recent times. Is it possible for you to say? One of the courses was my favourite, or or not. You know, I I'm always reluctant mm. to put things. Up. I mean, I would rather talk in general terms mm-hmm. in relation to courses I love, as opposed to say that course is better than that course. Yep. It's, I mean, I guess purely it depends what measure you, you're using. And I know you know people are entitled to take out a golf whatever they want. Uh, I do sometimes scratch my head. We we as as golfers in general. We'll always tend to overestimate what we know or what we think we know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's purely down to ignorance or lack of opportunity. Or, or as I said, maybe people just don't care. But they tend to use conditioning as a yardstick for how good a golf course is. And there's something that Mike Beckham said once on the podcast. You know, people, but you play golf on grass, you don't play golf on color. And by that, ultimately, and the reference was specifically in relation to Baron Bogle and that people coming down from Sydney or, or, or Melbourne or wherever else, they see the brown colour of the fairways and they assume that that's a really badly conditioned golf course because they don't know any different. Um, and it's the same, I suppose, in terms of GCA where people say, oh, well, it's, it's, it's all just a matter of opinion. Well, it is a matter of opinion, but there are some, some key texts out there that set the set the scope of the conversation. I mean, if you don't know about Mackenzie's 13 principles, you're going to say, well, it's all a matter of opinion. And I guess these guys, and, and, and in many ways, I mean, we, we wouldn't we look at an architect or any other profession. People will listen to them because they're giving their professional opinion. Whereas people tend to think that their uneducated opinion with regard to golf course architecture is as valid as the architect who has been considering these questions for 30, 40, 50 years. Yeah. Sorry, in answer to your question, I suppose my my my, my epiphany came in Kingston Heat. Um, mm-hmm. I played particularly badly that day. Still had a, a riotous time. Now, the difficulty for me with that was I was straight off the plane and used as I was to grainy cooch uh, lies beside the green. Let's just say I wasn't engaging the bounce properly. So I had a couple <laughs> of uh, only ones uh, through greens and so on and so forth. But I thought Kingston Heat on a, on, a, on a relatively flat piece of land was, was just a, a rooting masterclass. Um, and that, that probably was, it was the first first course we played in the sandbox. And it, it started to, to, to I guess, whet my appetite in relation to the questions 
why is this different? The first book I, I, I actually ordered when I was over in Australia, which obviously arrived when I came back, was Kenzie's uh, Spirit of St. Andrews, which is a, a great introductory text for anybody interested in exploring the, uh, the wonders of golf course architecture. Did you listen to the guys, Rod Murray and uh, Adrian Logue, when they did their book review on the Spirit of St. Andrews? I think that did they do it with Clates as well? They did it with Clates, yeah. I mean, I don't know if I should say that's right. I think I've listened to it four times. Say that again? You've listened to it four times, yeah. I think I've listened to it four times, yeah. yeah. Uh, most, most recently, coming back down from Marin and Port New last Friday week. Uh, the audio, uh, uh, and, and that's interesting, that was, I think, originally done when they did the IC Health podcast. Yeah. yeah, it was, yeah. And then they obviously moved over to the Good Good Golf podcast, and Rod forgot to press record with uh, an interview with Ian Porter, and at low suggestion, they put on the, uh, they re-ran the, the Spirit of St. Andrew's review. But, um, yeah, so I did. And, and that... It's a wonderful accompaniment mm. to, uh, to to listen to. Actually, to listen to, I, I would suggest read the book. And then, you know, you, you talked about a lot of people that you that you do listen to, um, and I think you know we've just mentioned three of them there. Clearly, that you listen to a lot of uh, Rod Murray and, and Adrian Logue and, and Mike Clayton. Uh, who else do you listen to uh, in terms of you know expanding your interest and knowledge, and you know just be keeping abreast of current golf course architecture um, happenings? Yeah. Uh, in terms of my wider listening, uh, Andy Johnson, Eric Morrison on the, the Fried Egg mm-hmm. podcast, and then also Derek Duncan on the Feed the Ball podcast. Mm-hmm. The nice thing about Andy and Paris is they have a recurring, a recurring feature, if you like, with Tom Doak, which is called the Yoke with Doak, mm-hmm. and it's probably thirty or thirty-five episodes stemming the last of the three or four years which is great because obviously we'll be talking about St. Patrick's and Benigal soon enough you, you really get an insight into into Tom and, 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 and why he makes the decisions he makes and how important his, his design team and his associates are um, and, and there's a bit of Q&A from, from the listenership lots of stuff as well so I mean he's, he's great insofar as he, he I guess we're very lucky that, that podcasts are about now, and 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 yeah, you know, if people want to dip into another, another website called the Golf Club Atlas, which is a, uh, it's a discussion group uh, run a discussion group view site by Ron Morissette, mm-hmm. who um, would have been involved with Tom Doak and his confidential guides most recently, but uh, Ron Ron I think is head of the rating panel for either golf week or golf magazine yeah golf so yeah. he's golf, yeah. he's one of the he's one of the bright lights in relation to dca and furthering that particular discussion but i mean other, other than that he's been books mainly as i said there's, there's probably looking through the books there the other day there's probably 40 45 books if i do something rots i do it properly <laughs> it sounds like it well you, you've mentioned a you know, quite a few people there that, that I listen to when I get the chance to listen to other golf podcasts. I, I don't have, I don't do a load of golf podcasts listening. People think I'm probably listening to them all the time, but I, I don't. I, I listen to quite a bit of stuff on the commute. But um, uh, when I, you know, the people that I do listen to, I love what, listening to Andy and especially when he's got Jeff Ogilvy on. I always find Jeff Jeff's insight and um, his 
views on on golf and golf course architecture and and all of those sorts of things. Uh, I, li- I like listening to Jeff and and Andy. I, th- I find Andy very funny to listen to. He's um, yeah got a, a a good sense of humour and he's just an interesting character. Um, you know, you'll know that I went to Barnboogle for the first time uh, this year. It was time. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and you talked about being um, left feeling special after your experience at Kingston Heath. And, you know, the Barn Boogle experience for me was, you know, sort of out of, out of almost out of body, if that's the right, right or wrong way to describe it. It was um, a great few days and I just couldn't – I wanted to go back the minute I left. And, uh, you know, it wasn't like I wanted to get home. I just wanted to play – more golf because you know what that says to me is there's so much more that I, I know that I didn't experience you know we played 94 holes in two and a half days but every time we stepped foot on one of the holes for the second time it was different and it was almost like you couldn't remember it like when I got to the hole for the second time I was like where does this one go again like and and to me that was like signifying that it was exciting in a way that uh you know it was just it was like a kid in a candy shop, put it that way, and uh, it was it was just a mind blowing experience for me. And I can't wait to go back down there, hopefully very soon. But um, yeah, Barnboogle uh, Dunes for me, and obviously being one of Tom's, I'm not sure if it was his first, was it his first course in Australia. St Andrews Beach. St Andrews Beach was before Barnboogle Dunes, right? Both both favourites of mine. Um, you know, you're obviously a big Doak fan. I I'm a big Doak fan. I love St Andrews Beach. I love the new work at uh, the Gunnamatta at uh, the National. Barnbeagle Dunes, fantastic. Renaissance in Scotland at, in, in East Lothian, I love that. I loved seeing that on TV the last couple of years. But the, his latest course in UK and Ireland is at Rosapenna at St. Patrick's Links, which has been greatly talked about. You've played it. It is. Yes, I did. Um, I, I guess um, maybe the best way into this is just a brief history for those listening without you think if they haven't heard of Rosapenna. They've been hiding under a rock, uh, perhaps. But um, well, it's in Donegal. Uh, let's let's talk with Donny, Donegal. So Donegal so is Donegal is, is is north northwest Ireland. So mm. if you can imagine, it's on the same or northern coastline as Road um, Rush, as Ballyliffin, as uh, Castle Rock, and Port Stewart. So that I guess specifically that's about three and a half hours drive from Dublin. Two and a half hours drive from Belfast. Specifically, it's located in a little little holiday village called Downings, which is twenty five kilometres northeast of Letterkenny. So um, it's about the same. If you're if you're travelling from Dublin, it's about the same sort of time frame by car that you would take to get to Kerry for obviously Ballybrae and Killarney. So it's no, it's no farther, and arguably at this stage, with the addition of uh, the old Tom, sorry, beg your pardon, with the addition of the St Patrick's uh, links course to Rossapenna, and the great work that Gil Hans and uh, his team have done in Marin and Portneu, which is slightly further around on the on the northwest coast. I know you've been there, uh, not since the not since the works, I believe, but um, I mean. You, Arguably, because of the quantity and quality uh, of golf in Donegal, you know, Adam Pally Dixon, which is 36 holes, short course nine, Aaron Portney was 18, you now got 63 holes at Rossapenna, Port Salon just about half an hour away from Rossapenna, uh, beautiful setting, 
Valley uh, Zucker Bay, uh, Northwest, Bridge Island, which is, I know, is a favorite of yours, Ross, uh, North Coast, uh, which you look there above his head. You know, you could make an argument that um, quality of golf in Donegal is at least the equal, if not uh, better, than Kerry in the Southwest, which is essentially where most of the, our American friends go. Mm-hmm. Um, the advantage with going to Donegal is that you probably do not see as many uh, American coaches. Uh, funny, I was in Bally Bunyan last Thursday and the Americans are back. We thankfully got out first at 8 a.m. and they were lined up on the first tee with their caddies and everything else. So it's great to see them back. One advantage you, you may experience going to Donegal right at this very moment is a lack of Americans. But that's not to say I don't like to see the Americans, but I think... You know, everyone everyone needs golf tourism. We need golf tourism to be back up and firing. You know, you need Aussies travelling to that part of the world. We need Americans travelling down here and to, you know, Scotland and Ireland because the golf industry revolves around that tourist dollar. So we... we um, but up there in, in Donegal, you know, it is... It's fairly remote. You know, Letterkenny's not a, a massive town. Um, I didn't realise Rosapenna was so close to Letterkenny. It was only 25 kilometres sort of to the north. I went to Letterkenny a couple of times, but never got to Rosapenna. Dunfanny here was about as close as I sort of got in a golfing sense. But, um, you know, there's once you get out of Letterkenny, there's, there's not a whole lot, is there? It's a pretty sparsely occupied sort of place. Yeah. I mean, that whole, I mean, Donegal is essentially made up of a number of, of, of uh, peninsulas, if you like. Mm. Coastline is particularly beautiful there. there's, there's lots of, of inlets and fjords and, and locks and so on and so forth, sea locks and whatever else. So it, it, it's, and, and mountains, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it actually, it's a big county, but obviously because of the topography of it, if you base yourself in, in Rossapena, you're probably never, the, never farther than, an hour and a half away from the best golf in the call, I suppose. Mm. Um, it is quite remote, but many of the best things are us. Best things are. Mm. Tasmania as, as, oh. as a case in points. And, and I didn't mean that, you know, that was a, a down. That was absolutely not because, you know, like it's it's very much like that in terms of, you know, you get off a plane or you go to a destination, you have to drive and, and, and get through there. And, and, you know, that's part of the, the allure is, you know, when you drive into the, those gates there, it's all, there's no gates, but through that front driveway there at Barnburgle, and it's been building up in your, in your you know, your, your golf world for a, a, such a long time, you know, the reveal is, is fantastic. So I can only, well, I can't, I can only imagine what it's like at Rosapenna, but I know what it's like at the other courses around there because, you know, you, you drive drive around uphill and downdale through Pete Bog-type countryside over there where, where you are, and all of a sudden you pull into this beautiful golf course and, you know, the, the seascape opens up, you know, the, the, the cliffs and the hills and the and the links are there, and it's just... It's just amazing. Sixty-three. You know, it's, it's, Sorry, go on. So you know, it's funny. I think. Uh, I think, funnily enough, old Tom Morris had a, had a similar uh, experience back in back in the eighteen nineties. The uh, local landowner was a gentleman called Lord Leitrim, and uh, he, he he contacted the great man in, in, in St Andrews and asked him to come over and take a look at a piece of land that he had in his uh, his, his his country country pile in Donegal. Um, and, and as they were going around the general general area, Tom spotted, I guess, the the, the Dunesland and Linksland, which ultimately he would he would stake the old Tom Morris course on. And I guess just to give you some idea of, of how big that 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 seaside property is that that Rossapenna is on, um, you rightly point out it's sixty three holes, uh, including the 
Mountains and Tantric's Lynx. They actually have 1,100 acres of uh, lynx land under, under management for the, for the golf courses. And that probably only represents about 50 to 60 percent of the land that's available. Not that it's available because it's not available to, to develop, but the remaining non golfing area of that you could potentially, if you were allowed, the lynx holds on probably another thousand acres. It's it's probably the most beautiful lynx land area I've 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 ever seen. The interesting thing about that, as I said, old Tom laid out the stake at the first course. So it's known as the old Tom Morris links, further improvement by Jane Braid, Harry Varden and Harry Colt. Ultimately, I first saw the old Tom Morris course. It is now the back nine. It's actually the front nine. And they actually have another nine holes which go over and across the road and around the hill behind the hotel. Quite literally, you had two drives crossing a main road at about 150 yards. Needless to say, that was a bit of a safety uh, nightmare in terms of KPS and A. Um, so they they made some modifications to that nine. It's now a standalone nine. Uh, Pat Ruddy looked at, uh, she put in another nine holes to the southern boundary part of the site, which ultimately and his uh, associate Eric Iverson shaped up but I guess when I was there the first time I think Sandy Hills just opened uh, that's a Pat Ruddy designed golf course very muscular like sort of over the top of, over the top of the dunes and, and down through the valleys uh, it was pretty difficult a pretty testing track but open first of all very very tight ribbon-like fairways were hampered by the fact that the course was yes, on either side of it, it adjoined a special area, sorry, a special scientific area of conservation in terms of the dunes land itself. Thankfully, over the last number of years, they have been able to soften it. Uh, a welling actually was brought in to, uh, to amend mowing line. Um, I had a riotous time there uh, learning that golf course last, uh, last September. And which brings us on to St. Patrick's, which is a, which is actually the history of, of the development of the site is quite interesting. Uh, it is a, is a, a nearby town called Carrigart, which would probably be about five or six minute drive from the, the golf course. And there's a hotel there called the Carrigart Hotel. The Walsh family used to own the hotel and purchased the what is now the St. Patrick's property, which is on 370 acres and sits just just on the boundary of the, of the main of, of, of the formerly main Rosapena property site, so actually includes a 110 foot sand mountain called Mahar Amadorga, which which ultimately the golf the golf course originally they actually do golf courses on. So um, it's a bit tight in places, and the holes are running up and down the, the aforementioned hill. Uh, Eddie Hackett actually who would have been involved with. Some year listenership of Cairn uh, Golf Links, Waterville, Donegal, and the island here in Dublin. He designed the first golf course, and the second golf course was uh, read by his, his assistant, Joanna O'Hare, uh, for which, what I believe was the first golf course in Ireland designed by, uh, by a lady. Ultimately, the, uh, although doing the planning, the plans were done in the 80s, the last sod uh, was only placed in 1996, essentially just before Eddie Hackett passed away. So minimal play. 
on the golf course. The site was actually sold to a developer back in the Celtic Tiger times, uh, early noughties, for in the region as well as anywhere else, uh, with the new owners in the building 36 holes to replace the 36 holes that were there. In fact, Nicholas was actually engaged to uh, two signature resort points. Contractors on site for six or eight weeks, financial book of first. Needless to say, the contract was unpaid and construction stopped. Um, so as part of the, the I guess, recapitalization of the banks, the Irish government set up a uh, set up a department called the National Asset Management Agency, um, and the St Patrick's uh, property was transferred in there. Um, ultimately, they bank two locals to. Uh, Cut the uh, cut the fairways and cut the grains just to make sure they uh, they stayed somewhat playable. The rest of the golf course was mothballed. Obviously, the Pacey family who owned Ross Penna were always very well placed to uh, to be the fair purchaser by the time of site twenty twelve. Um, in the interim, Larry Lambrecht, the um, world renowned golf photographer, um, had introduced the Paceys to to Tom Doe. Obviously. One of Tom's big wishes was he's always wanted to build Courts in Ireland and had previously looked at, at, a, at, a, at a development in Kerry called the Shannon Cross uh, Golf Club. In fact, Gore also did a routing for, for the Raging Holmes. Uh, that project didn't go ahead. Uh, he also looked at the old head site uh, down in Cork for what I believe was turning down the opportunity because he didn't think there was enough land there for. Um, for, for the best 18 holes, that's uh, like there wasn't enough land for, for, for a great 18 holes. Um, and then, you know, Doak and, and the guys in Renaissance first looked at uh, St. Pat's in, in 2013. And so, you know, between them and the Casey's, uh, sorry, between the, the Renaissance team and, and the Casey's, kind of felt that best use of the land was for 18 holes as opposed to 27 or 36. And ultimately, that, that choice. In my belief, having played the golf course four times facilitates or hugely facilitates the enjoyment of the golf course. So, the St. Patrick's Links is not directly on, it's down the road from the Rosapenna, you know, the Tom Morris and the other courses there in that facility? Yeah, it's a standalone, yeah. for want of a better word, obviously it is It is associated with Rosapenna. Yeah. It, has, it has a different entrance. It did look at it for, for those that know the, the old Tom Morris. The, the old Tom Morris course, the back nine, what is now the back nine, is, is set in very much set in the valley. And ahead of the valley, you've got a you've got a dividing dune, if you like. But the far side of that dividing dune is actually where where the St. Patrick's site is. Needless to say, they looked at potentially. I think initially they looked at perhaps incorporating some of the old Tom Morris course with some of the St. Patrick's course. They kind of felt that just from a flow perspective from where the clubhouse was, that just wouldn't work well. And then you might have to transfer people out, et cetera, et cetera. So they, they came to the conclusion that a standalone facility was um, was the best, um, best utilization. But yes, it is, it is I mean, an example at the moment is they're doing a three, they're doing a three, this is specifically for golf Ireland golfers. So for the local golfer, doing a three-course package, mm-hmm. 195 euros. That's just for your for your golf. So you get a round on the old Tom Morris course, you get a round on the uh, Sandy Hills course, and you get a round on the St. Patrick's course. And and what's called Frank Casey Junior, 
the last Friday. Really, what they're saying is people will do that. They play three times and then they probably play one more, whatever, whatever their favorite court is. Maybe that's San Diego, whatever you want to say. But, but yes, it's an it's adjoining property. It has a separate um, separate entrance. Obviously, it just opened, so the uh, they've got a couple of uh, cabins in for our job facilities and they have planning pending for a clubhouse on the St. Patrick's site between the So it sounds like it's like a quite a destination, you know, it's like almost like a barn boogalesque type of, you know, destination to go. You know, there's accommodation there, there's choice of golf, choice of golf courses, choice of golf course types. Um, I'm tipping that it's already popular but it's going to become even more popular now that they've got that wonderful St. Patrick's links up there. It looks fantastic. Uh, Nick Wall uh, from Airswing Media shot it, and he's been documenting. You know, he's he's in love with Ireland and um, North Northwest Ireland golf. He loves going up there. Um, he's very good friends with uh, the Casey family, and he's been up there and documented the whole transition of uh, the Links Land into the St Patrick's Links. Uh, graces the cover, uh, one of his shots uh, of the latest uh, edition of uh, Caddy Magazine. Um, so I can't wait to see that, and you know, I'll catch up with Nick and talk to him about that uh, very soon. It looks. Sensational. Significantly different to the other two courses. I would think so. Yeah. I mean, the the, the old Tom is uh, understated. Yes, it's it's understated. It's 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 fun. Whereas Sandy Hills is a muscular. You're better off having played the course a number of times because you know you have a much better appreciation of where to go, where not to go, particularly in the wind, and it's generally pretty busy up there. What separates from me the, well, first of all, and I've played a lot of links golf. I don't believe I come across anything that looks like uh, us. I mean that in a very positive way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the scale, obviously, it's on 370 acres. Having played some golf courses, Ross, I'm sure you should be sure you know his, his, um, his love of wit. Mm. His love of of scale, his love of visual reception, his love of, I guess, using natural terrain to the best the best of its ability. Um, but at the same time, obviously, tying everything in to the site. So really, you don't know whether the Renaissance guys did that or whether that was like that originally. Or I guess probably the only place you could see where they've done some work. Where they try to hide the holes of the 36 holes that were there. They have used a number of, uh, of playing corridors, specifically if I remember, the first was an existing playing corridor on the Tromore course, the second was an existing corridor on the Tromore course, and one or two other uh, playing corridors that they utilized. Predominantly, in addition to making a new golf course, they've essentially hidden parts of the older golf course that you see. Uh, they obviously use some of the turf to, to re resod some of the fairways. They've, they've sown a lot of the fairways as well. So there's a lot of waste bunker areas in play, some of which were actually left over from the normal site works that uh, Jack Nicholas and his team did. And obviously there was 12 or 13 years of, of weather, weather, weathering, if you like, which uh, which gave the the, the big waste bunkers uh, they had worked on some character. Yeah, I mean, it, for Lynx junkies out there, there isn't anything I've certainly played. I've played a lot of Lynx golf courses. There's nothing like it. 
looking like it's uh, anyway. It's a pretty big, pretty big rap. Did you say that uh, the previous course, uh, one of Hackett's associates, was a, uh, a lady who worked on that cook? The old correct. Cook? correct. Yeah. So, so the Hackett developed the the Mara McGorgan golf course. If I'm saying apologies if I'm saying that wrong. And the other golf course was developed by a lady called Joanne O'Hare, who I believe was assistant professional in Royal County Down. So uh, I, I didn't play the golf course, uh, predominantly looking at actually the website for the old golf course that's still live. So you can actually go in and look at the pictures of the old golf course right. to try and get a feel for what was there before. And I think it's stmatrixlinksgolf.com. Mm. I, I, don't know, I don't know who's paying the hosting fees or maybe that's the case I really don't know. But, um, but yeah, so she, my, my, I with the two architects that played at the golf courses. But um, if anyone has played the old golf course, they probably wouldn't recognize the new golf course emanating out of the old course. Okay, it's um, it's just a, a loose time, but, you know, if anyone's followed the, the journey of the St. Patrick's Links, um, you know, with the Casey family, you know, they will know that, Angela Moser as part of the Renaissance design team and spent you know a long time sitting over there um, shaping the course. So it's it a, that's a nice little connection that you know probably one of the one of the world's um, you know few uh, women uh, course shapers and designers um, as part of the Renaissance group team. And she spent a long time uh, sitting there shaping and building the St Patrick's Link. So that's a nice little connection. She did. I believe she she was actually on site originally with Tom, Doug, Clyde Johnson, yep. uh, with the Casey's obviously and Angela herself from the from the first site visit in twenty thirteen when they were re- obviously Eric Iverson was there as well. So be trying to get your head around you know what the how to best utilize the land and and really try and get it to um, to do the to do the property the services it it, it demands and demanded. I had a wonderful random chance meeting with uh Angela and also uh, Frank Casey Jr., as I probably pointed out some time ago, at Kingston Heath, your, one of your favourites. Um, well, when was that? Um, February, yeah, 2020. It was probably around the same time that you, you were here in Australia around then. They were down here for the um, Renaissance Cup, which was at Gunnamatta. Yeah, I had I had nine holes with Angela and, uh, and Frank, because Frank's friends with one of my golfing buddies who's a member at Kingston Heath who is one of the Rand Morissette's guys. So um, there you go. It's it a nice little – it's a small world, the golf community, and that's why you and I are sitting here talking and we're talking about people that I had a random nine holes of golf with at Kingston Heath one day. It was, it was unbelievable. It's been great to follow that journey, um, and especially after meeting um, Frank Casey Jr. Funnily enough, I had a friend, uh, someone who used to work at Rosa Penner in my golf shop the other day who has a house that's sitting pretty much sighted. I don't know the lay of the land. I've not been there, but the, his family house is pretty much adjacent to the Rosapenna um, golf course. He, young Irish fellow uh, from Belfast um, came in the other day and we started talking, as I like to do whenever I hear the accent. I sort of, if you come to come to my store and you have an accent, be it Scottish or Irish, you, you know, you, you're going to get an inquisition. That's just a I'll, given. I'll help you. <laughs> you're going to get an you're going to get an inquisition of who you are, where you're from, you know, and where do you play golf? Where have you played? What have we got in common? And um, you know, within a very short period of time, I'm t- sitting here talking to a young fellow who worked for the Casey family. Um, so that was very nice. That was on Thursday, just before the lockdown, and um, you know, and his dad's got a house there. Um, he said, yeah, we go to Rosapenna all the and, time. And you were and you were kind enough to bring the picture over to me. I sent the picture to Frank, who uh, who responded, "Ah, yeah, good friend, Jamie Gildy has a house here." Amazing how small the golf for it is. Very much so. As absolutely. So um can't wait to get back there. 
can't wait to get back there and see that part of the world. Hopefully uh, you might be able to join us up there because you know that Donegal is uh, very close to my uh, wife's family. Yeah, my father-in-law is yeah. from uh, Gwydor and Brinlac and uh, around there. So she's still got family over there. I had one of the greatest uh, weeks of my life staying in, uh, where did we stay? Ranafast. Stayed in Ranafast. You know, I got to play a ballroom with an with a band at, in Bonner's Bar at um, you know Kincastler, and uh, you know had the wonderful experience of playing nine holes at uh, this wonderful course, which sits in the picture, which is Nick Wall's picture from um, Critch Island. You know what a great place that is, it's, and that part of the world is very important to my family um, because my cousin is married to a Donegal man. Uh, my late uncle, my dad's twin brother, um, you know, loved that course. So you know, all these connections and retracing steps you talked about fairways and conditioning and, and color if you look at that picture behind me you'd think it's it's world class and it is world class in many respects but it's a little nine hole country links ostensibly and you know it's not pristine like you know a tier one course but you know i don't think you'd ever meet anyone that would come off there and not be absolutely enamored with the the golf that they've just played um you know to your point that you made earlier when you know conditioning is you know put a premium on but it's it's not it's not what it's about it's not what links golf is really only about yes of course it's nice and it's a given pretty much when you play all the top tier courses but when you play a links course like critch island there and it's a bit you know the mowing lines aren't as defined as you maybe maybe would expect you don't walk off there disappointed absolutely not i think predominantly people forget they're playing golf that they want to have fun Mm. and Different people might describe how they have fun in a different way, but ultimately it's about, surely it's about the challenge and the uphill, sorry, the, the hanging lies and the, the, the uphill lies and downhill lies and the bad lies and whatever else. I mean, I think there's, there's a scramble, certainly, sorry, some of our American friends, you know, that, that, you know, fairway should be flat. And I think it's it predominantly it's the influence of PGA Tour and the American. American game, I think, sort of worldwide. People have an expectation, rightly or wrongly, and they're entitled to expect whatever they want. You forget how golf started, where it started, and the fact that golf variably is unfair and should be unfair because that's how it started. It shouldn't, you know, you know, you, you hear people sort of owning the fact that really I should drop it at that, uh, that give it on the fairway because that's not fair. Golf. You know, rather than rather than complaining about your lie, see it as an opportunity to show show your skill set, or not as the case may be. You know, back in the stance a little bit, a little bit steeper, and catch the ball first. You know, squeeze it out. Um, you know, it's the same. It's the same with, with people who, who are on a, a a rampage to to make every every lie that you get in a bunker uh, the same. I mean, ultimately, you might have bunkers heading are, are pointing in in three or four different directions, which means they get you know, more or less sun, they get more or less rain, they get more or less wind. So it's a, it's a, it's a technical and a physical impossibility to make lives and bunkers consistent. And, and, and it's amazing how, how many golf clubs probably spend an inordinate amount of money trying to trying to accomplish that, which is something that you're never going to really do. But, but ultimately, going back to the critch, I mean, I, I played it last year, uh, probably some of the best greens I've put it on all year. Mm. You know, as you say, for a, for a, a nine-hole track, out in the middle of nowhere. You know, uh, interesting, interesting drive in, one way in and one way out. And it's, it's, a, it's a one lane road through rushes and, and marsh, marsh area, etc., etc. Got to drive in through the through the first hole, 
in fact, you just need to be careful. I suppose yeah. it's probably the best thing to say. It's not yeah. dangerous, but you just need to be careful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, which is just, uh, just another example of, of some of the great, great parts. And I think um, places like Critch you know, have been brought to the fore by people like you know, Nick, um, who's photographed it um, so beautifully, and and also you know like Gary Lisbon, another a great Australian golf photographer, and who's very well travelled, travels the world, has some beautiful imagery of places like Critch. And, and I think what's happened is, you know, these other courses. Let's talk about Scotland for a second. That same sort of thing. You know, there's so much great golf up around there that people haven't heard about, but now it's starting to come to the fore. And you know, these you know hidden gems um, really, really getting a profile and people are wanting to seek them out maybe not also as much as the um you know the tall rotors and the and the open rotor courses but people are seeking you know these hidden gems out uh, as feverishly which is which is really good i think it's great for for golf that people can go and play nine holes there and just be blown away and then you know they can go down the road and play donegal mervar or naran port new another one that we're about to talk about and you know have a another different experience so i had a conversation uh, when I was up there, actually, I was just asking him about, you know, contrasting the his experiences in relation to building golf courses. Um, and for Sandy Hills, obviously, like in you know, 03, when it opened, obviously the construction process, the design process was very much, um, sorry, Pat Ruddy doing his design and then handing it over to a contractor. So essentially, what's on paper is what you get. Yeah. Uh, and then I guess contrasting that with his experience with um, the Renaissance team, ultimately, as they would have had drawings in-house in terms of conceptual and routing and whatever else, really uh, none of that ever was ever issued to, to Frank in that it's very much let's get on site, let's see if our concepts work. If they don't work, let's edit them, let's let's be a bit more freeform about this mm. and, and and what frank said to me was you know if, if ever they go if ever they have an opportunity to build golf course he he is so far down the road how renaissance do it rather than tr- traditional you know put it on paper and and we make sure that's what you get um because ultimately you you allow the likes of Eric Iverson to 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 let the the, the creative juices flow, mm. and, and by all accounts, he, he he's he's done exceptionally well. And what must be remembered also is because of COVID nineteen, essentially Eric has been the main man in, on this. I mean, yeah. Tom did go up over to do the green shaping and so on and so forth. Obviously, with with COVID and and and, and whatever else, um, yeah. Uh, Eric and Tom had a chat, and Tom said, you've been working with me for a long, long time. You know, you know that, uh, you know, know, we've been part of all the same conversations, you know. Uh, It doesn't, it it, it shouldn't make any difference that I'm not there. But but also, if you need to edit something, edit Mm. it. You have full full authority here. So, I mean, he was, uh, Frank, Frank Jr. was effusive in his praise of, Eric and how he went about his business, and ultimately, you know, it was up with him. Um, obviously, there was some, 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 uh, a lot of communication back to Traverse City, but uh, Eric is Eric was very much the main man here. 
And I think if you once you do a little bit of research and, and get any level of insight into some of the works that they've done, you know, when you, you you listen to those stories about Eric, you know, you listen to, you know, how Don Placek, you know, handled Renaissance and Brian Schneider down at uh, Barnburgle Dunes, you know, like three unbelievable skilled craftsmen, you know, working as a team in, in Tom under Tom's, I wouldn't even say guidance, but, you know, they, they all working together. I think you'd have to think that they'd have such a good cohesion to be able to trust and, and know, you know, the job and, and what's required and how to get it done. And, you know, I think if you're Tom, you know, ultimately your, your stamp's going on the on the front cover of the um, the scorecard. You've got three guys there that you can put your trust in, right? Absolutely. I mean, you know, the, 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 certainly something that has, has, has crystallised for me over the last 12 years is that, you know, the way in which it, sorry, the way in which uh, Renaissance do it, the way in which uh, ultimately it's all from the same thing, which is essentially, under, uh, sorry, which is essentially the guy, like, if you're looking at the mm. guitars, guitar, Tom, Tom Toss, or, or Tom, you know, Tom worked with Peace, Bill worked with Tom, uh, Mike Reese worked with Tom, you know, Obviously, um, uh, Tom worked with Mike Clayton and, and Ashley and and, and, and Mike. OCCM, it's a OCM it's a pretty much the same way. So it's, it's it's a wonderful. I guess it's a wonderful move back to perhaps how things used to be done. I mean, mm. she, like Popping used it, used the analogy of you know your 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 supermarket like bowls. And, and very much sort of 60s, 70s, 80s, it became Golf Pro, be it Nicholas Palmer or, 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 or whoever. Um, and it was, you know, you go to the golf, you know, the golf club with the band and, and he will design the golf course. He never designed the golf course. His, his associates designed the golf course. He put a name on it. She very much got cookie cutter. This is, this is, this is how, how, how a golf course golf course is designed and then we transpose that into the plan and that's what we get and it's now it's very much i guess arts and crafts are back to your your butcher your baker and your candlestick maker people are specializing in certain things rather than a catch-all approach i think it's phenomenal and and you know it's funny when tom tom Doak started his, his design career some people suggested that all the great golf sites in the world were, were, were taken. Obviously, some thirty years later, that has not proven to be the case. Mm. Um, I think I think in future it's going to be reworking the existing golf clubs or golf courses as opposed to predominantly new golf courses. Really, I suppose it's about also increasing or endeavouring to increase that golfing IQ amongst amongst golfers because, mm. um, you know, I mean. The Australian golfer, are the ones that I've certainly come across, appear to have a better golf IQ than, than perhaps your, your, your general, your generic Irish golfer or British golfer, whatever it might be. And, and I think some of that is, to, is due to the fact of the influence that, that Mackenzie and Morgan and, and, and all those guys had in relation to your, your best golf courses. Um, but um, also, it's about knowing, you know, putting your hand up and saying, well, you know, knowing what you don't know 
And it's really only as I've started scratching the surface of, of this stuff that you realize that there's a hell of a lot more to it. And, and yes, they are opinions. Of course they are. But like, I mean, you know, we need to understand or try ever to understand uh, how, uh, how the greats used to do it in, a, in an effort to try and um, ensure that we don't make the same mistakes that uh, the preceding committees and people thought they knew better. Yeah, exactly right, you know, and I think the, the most architects these days, the first thing they go back to is that original plan and, and let's look at what we had and, you know, yeah. I hear you, uh, Clay's talking about Royal Sydney and, you know, telling stories about, you know, various committees and members and captains and whatever walking down the sides of fairways planting, you know, planting trees, which are now, you know, in the way, were never there when the golf course was envisaged or, or built and uh, and now they can't you know, redo the course to where they want it to be because, you know, the, the no one wants the trees to be pulled out. And, you know, the trees were never there. It was a it was a random, you know, committee that put various plantings in there that um, weren't ever intended to be there. So anyway, I you're 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 exactly right. And and the work that Tom did, you know, you never got to see the Gunnamatter course at uh, the national you know, previously it was a, a um Peter Thompson course called the Ocean Course. It was the stats would say that it was the least played of the three courses on that property. Wonderful. Did you go to the national at all? I played the Mona course, but I, didn't play any Mona was the was the first uh, first stop. So the Gunnamatta was just open when you played? Yeah, just open. So yeah. I was there January twenty, I think that opened yeah, maybe October, October November, November. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh and it took me playing that course to really, once again, you know, we talked right at the start about a journey and, and, and learning and, and uncovering, you know, different levels of knowledge. And it took me playing that to really get another level of appreciation, understanding um, what someone like a Tom Doak does. Uh, because I played the ocean course many times, you know, like usually when I got invited down there by a mate who was a member, we could get on the ocean course because it was open to play for, for guests. And it was tough and I didn't mind it. I, I didn't, I did not like it, but the members hated it. And, you know, once people started to explain to me why they hated it and why, you know, when you played to a green where every green was uphill, I thought, oh, yeah, you're right. And and then it just started to sink in after I played the Gunnamatta and, and experienced the, the, the doke width and then, you know, the challenge into the green and then the variation in the route and the variation in the style of the holes, some of the, the references to, um, you know, a few template style holes and greens and, and uh, you realise the difference in, in what someone can do uh, in changing an existing course. Because I, I, didn't, I didn't really see how they were going to do it and, and make it better than what they had. But, you know, that's just ignorant me saying that. But uh, what he did, it was a to- it's a, obviously a totally new course and you, you can't even see where the old course was, you know, like it's the references I to... That's, I, I think that's the whole, the whole idea. Yeah. If if you if you can see what they did, not on their job properly, mm. in terms of tying it in properly, but also undoing what was done the last time construction took place, because I know certainly heard Tom speak about the project national, and my understanding is the scope of the change as the project went on. Mm. We're looking at doing a little bit. Yeah. And when he put into it, he then 
when he starts going, well, we can go from this tee to that green, which obviously isn't current routing, and, and we would have to do that. And then he went back to the guys um, uh, on the board and said, well, actually, how about this? Was, well, it's a little bit more than we thought we were going to do, but, you know, and I suppose, you know, ultimately they ended up blowing the whole property up and and and, and rerouting and, and whatever else. I mean, I know, I certainly recall uh, hearing Mike Clayton speak about the job that uh, the Renaissance guys did at uh, Yarra Yarra. Um, and, and I think Gary Duncan at the time asked the question, why did, why did Oak and Renaissance get the big? Surely there are there are, are designers that could have done it in Australia. And Clayton's response was, well, it was going to be a giant saw massacre. So really from a PR perspective, it probably did the right thing because obviously he's known as Chainsaw Mike. Um, you know, very unfairly, mm. um, people people don't scratch that particular the surface at that particular point. Um, and I guess the history of that goes back to the um, the original settlers and, and and all of the cane toads and European trees and. Uh, all the stuff that we brought over from Europe that we shouldn't have brought over from Europe. Ultimately, it starts with that particular, uh, that's linked to that particular uh, particular requirement, you know, making beautifying things and turning them more European as opposed to Australian. At the end of the day, Australia is beautiful with Australia. It's, uh, it's, it's, it, it, it shouldn't be turned into little Europe, um, particularly, the, particularly the golf courses. I wonder if Marin Grass, was Marin Grass introduced? Would have had to, had to have been, wouldn't it? Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, I mean, if if you think about it, and again, forgive me, uh, I would, I, 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 I would imagine. It's not is, is there any marum? Is there any marum on the morning? Uh, no, there's marum grass. I first experienced what I'd know as marum grass out at um, Port Ferry. Um, okay. And then, then obviously it's. Um, Prodigious down at uh, Bamboogle. Bamboogle and, yeah. and, and King Island and whatever else. I mean, I, I, I suspect, I mean, part of the reason why you've, you've got uh, fescue, why fescue will grow, it's a cool, obviously a cool season grass, mm. why, why it will grow on King Island and, and probably Port Ferry and, and Bamboogle is it's that little bit cooler. Mm. And I suspect that Marum is probably cool season grass as well. Now, I'm not 100% sure. Um, but again, that, that would be an interesting question for an agronomist. Well, um, it gobbles I, golf ball. I, I'm, 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 I'm quite evidently not an agronomist. <laughs> no, me either. My brother's a grain keeper of the family, as you know. Um, but um, I should have asked him. He rang me today. Wished me happy birthday for last week. Thanks, uh, Murray. A week late, but anyway, better than nothing. Hey, um, yeah, no, I just know Marum uh, gobbles golf balls up. Uh, what I was going <clears throat> to say is, um, do you. How much weight do you think, you know, we've, we've seemed to have, you know, we're talking about St. Patrick's and obviously Doak, which has led to a number of conversations around Doak's courses. How much weight do you think courses put on having the Doak name in terms of a marketing aspect? Or is it just purely because you get the best product? Uh, I think it's certainly, uh, speaking particularly in relation to St. Patrick's, um, I I think it, the association with the 
name uh, will only aid their um, their efforts over the years. Mm. Um, predominantly, Northwest uh, and Donegal in particular has probably not seen the influx of American high-rolling tourists that perhaps didn't warrant us, even before St. Patrick's. Um, I think given the fact that uh, he's not and hasn't been associated with many golf courses over here full stop, and you can you can count them on on, on probably one hand. Um, obviously St. Patrick's in Ireland he's designed um, he's consulting with uh, Woodhall Spa in England where the EG were based and obviously Renaissance up in, up in uh, Edinburgh. They're the only three golf courses he's mm. uh, he's he's had a had a hand in um over here. Obviously Santa Million down in France is the one he's he's built as well. So we're we're quite light on dope influence in, in Europe. Um I know he's got his finger in a few pies from a consulting perspective in Australia. So he's he's a more known quantity I suppose in Australia. Mm. Um, um yeah I mean I, I would think that uh, it's probably 50-50. Um, I mean, obviously, he's only ever going to take on exceptional, exceptional yeah. sites yeah. In, in, in the first way, as a, as a preference. Um, as turning the old head project down would have it. Um, so I think in 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 in, in case, it's very much pretty fifty-fifty. In that, you know, the land speaks for itself, the product speaks for itself. The local name will, I guess, attract. More, more Americans to the uh, you know consciousness first of all, but also will actually physically attract more Americans. And you know the knock-on effects for that are going to be sixty-two room 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 hotel at the minute uh, up in Rosatana. I would suspect that you know I haven't specifically spoken to Frank about this, but obviously as 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 word gets out and as their 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 occupancy rate goes to the roof without without a doubt. You know, they're gonna have to add on um they, they're likely to add on more hotel rooms because they'll give them more scope. You know, whether or not they're gonna come down the route of, of you know, some of the accommodation options that Richard Sattler has developed um and I know Frank has been over there um amongst uh, amongst other places. Um you know, I think the site is the site is 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 Plenty of plenty of space there where you where you might do that. Um, I think it's important. I mean, the name name recognition is important, certainly for. Yeah, uh, I mean, in many ways, I I uh, I think I think it's 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 only a good thing for for for, for golf in Ireland, but the likes of Anderson. Well, it certainly will get me back there. Don't worry about that. Um, Shane, I don't know when you'll get back down to Australia. Uh, the Australian government are making it hard for people to come to Australia at the moment, and especially if you are an Australian, um, they're making it hard for you to come back because they don't want you to leave if you do come back from overseas. So I don't know about uh, um, getting the, the foreigners, foreigners down here to play golf again, but uh, when you do come back, we will definitely get you to Peninsula Kingswood, and you know you can see the great work 
that Mike Cocking has done. Um, still, you know, for me, once again, another part of my evolution in understanding what makes a golf course a great golf course is watching uh, Mike at work to do that work. And you've listened to all the podcasts where he's you know featured and he's been widely sought after, you know, because Peninsula Kingswood is such a great uh, property now. It was great before, but it is fantastic now. You've seen the photos. Um, we'll get you down there and, you know, we'll get you uh, with Mike and um, spend some time doing that because he is very giving of his time. I can't promise that to everyone, but uh, he did do it once before because um, he's a great guy to have a chat to. And, um, you know, and I, I remember the days when we were playing some of the temporary holes and, you know, off in the corner now where a, a, a bunker and a wasteland, you know, uh, seeing Mike in the morning, you know, shuffling his feet through the dew. And I've, I've told this story before and, you know, you couldn't really work out who it was, but, you know, you get down there and, oh, day, Mike, how are you? And he's just out there, you know, had an idea overnight, you know, about something, doing very much like what you were talking about before. And he was just shaping out in the dew with his feet, you know, different patterns and, um, you know, seeing how that would look. And uh, it was amazing to, to see that and then now to see what's come you know, to fruition and be able to play it. Uh, not nearly enough for me because I'm too busy working, but uh, it's just a great place to be and I can't wait to be able to show you um, Peninsula Kingswood because uh, you haven't seen it and um, it'll be the next one on the list, so it'll be good. Excellent. Well, I, I look forward to that in view, of course. Um, I, would, I would suspect it's probably going to be 23 earliest before I get mm. back down there. But there's, no, there's, no, there's no guarantees that... Uh, Scott and his friends will let me in at that stage either. We'll see, we'll see, but uh, let's hope for it's all right before um, yeah. I think, I think early next year, I think early next year we should be fine. Yeah, you know, like if if they do what they're talking about, we should be fine. But uh, who knows? Touch wood. We can only be positive you know and optimistic. The very best of luck anyway. I hope uh, I hope things um, things head in the right direction and uh, and we all get out of this. Absolutely. Shane, it's been great to have you. It's been great. Uh, you know, it's uh, two hours we've been talking uh, just about golf. Um, who would have, my, when, I'm gonna, when I go out there and talk to my wife and she says, what have you been doing? I said, I've been talking about golf. How long? You know, you've been gone for two hours. How long can you possibly talk about golf? What have you been talking about other than golf? Uh, no, I'll say, no, it's only golf. Um, and we've been talking for two hours. She won't believe me, but. Um, but surely, surely as a, as a, as a, as a Scottish lady. She, she, she understands a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. You know, as a Scottish lady of Irish parents too, mind you, of you know, good Donegal and County Mayo stock, um, Scottish-born, you would think that she's got all the ingredients to understanding the, the, the beauty of Lynx golf. Um, she understands that I like to go and do it, and that's the important thing. And sometimes uh, it's uh, the two moons meet and we all have a happy little symbiotic relationship, my golf and her uh, her shopping, and it's all good. So um, no problems. Very good, Shane. Good, mate. Let's chat soon. I come out. Appreciate that. Take it easy. Bye. Bye.